This morning's scripture reading is taken from Galatians chapter 6, the first five verses. Brethren, if a man be overtaken of a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. morning. It is a blessing to be together this Lord's Day. We are thankful for God's providential love and care, protection, and allowing us to come together to worship with one another this Lord's Day. And we're thankful for the presence of each and every one that is with us today. We have those who are visiting with us from out of town. We're especially thankful that you are here, that you've chosen to worship with us. We know that you made that choice and decision, and we are thankful that you are here with us this morning. And if you are visiting with us from the area, we're especially glad that you are here today as well. We're thankful for the presence of each and every one here that we are able to encourage one another and draw closer to our Lord. And we invite you to be taking out your Bibles this morning. We're going to be studying from the book of Galatians in the sixth chapter. If you have a bookmark, you might want to bookmark that text. We're going to be referencing it a few times this morning. If you have two bookmarks in your Bible, if you're one of the lucky ones, then you might also go to Luke chapter 15. And you might want to bookmark that text as well. And this morning, we're going to start in neither of those passages. We're actually going to start in Hebrews, the second chapter. In Hebrews chapter 2 is where we will be starting this morning in our study. And I invite you to be taking out your Bibles and turning to Hebrews chapter 2. Because one of the most sobering teachings in the New Testament is the possibility that as a child of God, we could so sin and still be lost. That there is the possibility that we might turn away from the Lord. That we could fall into apostasy. And we could abandon our faith in God and in Jesus Christ. Forfeiting an eternal inheritance, an eternal home in heaven with our God and our Savior. And the Hebrew writer warns extensively of that in Hebrews chapter 2. And in the first three verses, you can just see this warning that the Hebrew writer offers here under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, for this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty... How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at first spoken to the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. He warns here, just in the phrases that he uses, and I don't think he's just being theoretical about this. He is warning us about the distinct possibility that we could allow the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ to just drift away. Where it's just accidentally leaving us, and we leave it behind. And that we can neglect this great salvation that we have through Jesus our Lord. 
In chapter 6 of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 6, there are several warning passages that I think that you could find in the book of Hebrews, but Hebrews chapter 6 might be the most stalwart of the warnings in Hebrews chapter 6 and in verse 4. The Hebrew writer says here, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened, these are people who have tasted of the heavenly gift as he's going to describe. They are made partakers of the Holy Spirit. That these are people who have been enlightened, he says in verse 4. And he says in verse 5, And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. These are saved people that he is describing that they have in no doubt been obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that these are true believers. But then he says in verse 6, and then have fallen away. They can fall away. And this morning that we have to reckon with that possibility that you and I could fall away. However, if that does happen, there is a step that we need to consider and that I want us to think about this morning as we study from the Word of God. And that is perhaps one of the most important works we have in the Lord's church. And that is keeping the saved saved. That is helping those who have become a child of God to remain a child of God. So that they need not stray. And if they do, we need to have some way to be able to try to bring them back. And that's what the Apostle Paul, I believe, is writing about here in Galatians chapter 6, the text that we read this morning in our reading. Whenever he says in verse 1, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. We need to seek to restore those who have left the Lord those who have turned away and have allowed themselves to drift away from the great salvation that is in Jesus Christ, we need to seek to bring them back to the Lord. We need to learn how to restore the prodigal. Perhaps you are very familiar with the story in Luke chapter 15, the parable that Jesus offers in Luke the 15th chapter what we oftentimes call the parable of the prodigal son. And in Luke chapter 15 and in verse 11, you'll perhaps remember how that parable begins. When Jesus says, and He said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. 
I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. We'll stop our reading there and we'll continue it in a few moments. But what you just see is that this younger son, he came to his father and he said, I will demand that you give me the estate, the inheritance that I'm going to get, my portion of it. What a slap in the face that would have been to the father. That essentially what he's saying, you're dead to me. That I want nothing to do with you. And I don't want anything, I just want your money. And the father, for all that could be said about him, he complies with his son's request. Becoming the epitome and the picture of grace in this parable. But I want us to use this as a lens for us to think about what can we do to bring someone back to the Lord? Someone who has been within the family of God and has chosen to forsake it and chosen to leave the Lord. What can we do to help restore the lost child of God to bring them back into the family of God? And I think what we need to first recognize is that this is about personal work. This is about restoring a personal relationship with people. In this parable, you see that the prodigal, he has this disdain for his father in what is inexplicable. That he has this disdain, this hatred, and he wants to treat his father as if he is nothing and as if he is dead. And you have to appreciate the father that he understands that's exactly what his son thinks of him. Because at the end of the parable, remember what the father says to the older brother and to his servants? That this son of mine, he was dead and now he is alive, he was lost and now he is found? That this prodigal, he has disdain for his father and he treats him as if he is dead already to him in his heart and in his mind. You think about having a relationship with someone like that, that's going to be hard and difficult whenever there is no respect, no love, no appreciation, no value for that relationship. And that's what we have to try to overcome for someone who is leaving the Lord. You have to try to rebuild and restore that kind of relationship to where there is value that is seen in that. It's not easy work. But what you see in the parable is the Father is the epitome of grace. He is the exemplar of kindness and fairness. And as the prodigal, as he left home and as he comes to his senses, there in verse 17 it says, but when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. The one man that he thought about, the one person that he thought about, whenever he is there with the pigs, he thought about his father. He thought about how his father is fair, his father is kind, and his father is generous. He remembered that personal relationship with his father. Restoration, restoring someone who has left the Lord, it is about this personal work of 
reminding someone about the personal relationship that they have with God. And restoration is personal because it is a matter of eternal life or eternal death. Restoration is personal because it involves people. And we sometimes call evangelism our personal work that we want to try to reach out to save the souls. But I would submit to you that reaching the lost, even the lost child of God who is a prodigal, that it is again personal work because we want to reach the person. We want to touch their soul to help encourage them to come back to the Lord and come back and be part of the family of God. And you just think about the personal descriptions and the actions and the attitudes found in this parable. It only reminds us of that point. That while the prodigal, he had hatred for his father, he begins to transform his understanding and his image of who his father was. It's not that his father changed, but his understanding of his father changed. He began to realize that while he had resentment towards his father, that was uncalled for. And he needed to be someone who appreciated his father's generosity and his father's kindness. We all probably know someone who has forsaken the Lord, a prodigal living, who has been a faithful child of God, but then they abandoned the Lord. We all probably know someone like that. Maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's someone that you care deeply about, a friend that you helped convert. Maybe it's someone that you have had a lot of personal interactions with. Maybe it's a child or a grandchild. Maybe it's a parent that left the Lord. We all probably know someone. And if you were to ask them why they left, and if you would receive an honest answer, would they say that they left because of you? Or would you be the one person that they regret leaving behind? Which kind of person would you be? Because that really gets to the heart of what this is all about. That this is something of a very personal nature. And when we know someone who has left the Lord, we want to be the kind of person that they think of as a gracious person, as a kind and fair and gentle person. That the son began to remember his father. And we want to have that kind of personality like the father does. Because that's going to be the kind of person that brings them back to the Lord. That would create within them a desire to come back and to be reunited with the family of God. In Galatians chapter 6, in our text this morning that we read from, in Galatians chapter 6, and in verse 1, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. I love the description there that the person needs to be a gentle spirit. And they need to be someone who is seeking to do things the right way. And Paul, what I appreciate about the Apostle Paul is that he exemplified this very attitude. Whenever he saw someone 
who was becoming a hypocrite or that they were beginning to leave the Lord and the truth, he would deal with this. Earlier in the book of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 2, remember that Paul was talking about when he had gone back to Antioch and then Peter comes and Barnabas are there. And it says in verse 11, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. He was playing a hypocrite and he was doing so and so far that he was allowing Barnabas and influencing Barnabas to be inconsistent and be a hypocrite. And Paul says, I went and opposed him to his face. I don't think that was an unloving or unkind sort of conversation, but it was an important conversation that needed to take place because Peter was wrong. Peter was condemned. And if he did not change his attitude, then he was going to be lost. And Paul was concerned enough for Peter. And he saw value in Peter. And he wanted to bring Peter back to the truth. And so he opposed him to his face. I think that's what Paul is trying to get us to see, that we have a responsibility to do. In Galatians chapter 6, whenever we see someone who has left the Lord, we have a responsibility Those who are spiritual, not just the elders, not just deacons, not just the preacher, but anyone who is spiritual, they have a responsibility to go to that person to try to encourage them to come back. You do so in love. We'll we'll continue to talk about that. We need to have the right attitude when we go to someone. But we need to urge them and bring to bring them back to the family of God. And whenever the prodigal returned to his father in Luke chapter 15, in Luke chapter 15, in verse 20, whenever the son began to pick himself up and go back to his father, it says, So he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf. Kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. And the relationship between this father and son, it had been severed, it had been broken. Or the son had treated his father as if he were dead already. But now they are reunited. And what the son just did not realize was he was the one who was spiritually dead. He was the one who was dead. His father realized it. His father was able to see. And he understood. But he restored his son as a son. He didn't just say, okay, I'll I'll take you up on this deal. I'll make you a slave of mine. He said, you're my son. No, the son was not worthy of it. The son was not deserving of that kind of special treatment just as none of us are deserving of God's grace and God's kindness. None of us deserve that. 
But because the Father is this picture of grace and kindness and faithfulness, our God in heaven, our Father in heaven, is willing to restore us. Restoring someone reunites that personal relationship that was broken and severed. And your personal relationship and connection with people could certainly be a reason for them to be encouraged to come back to the Lord. We never want to be the excuse for that they are looking for in which they will never come back. We want to be the reason that someone would want to come back to the Lord. Just as the son remembered his father. But then we need to also recognize that restoration should be motivated by love. And in this picture, I love the description here in Luke chapter 15 and verse 20. That the father, he is seeing his son when he's still a long ways off. I wonder how many days he got up and he was looking down the road and just waiting for his son to come back. I imagine it was just about every day. He was waiting for his son to come back home. And he realized that his son was going to learn from this. And whenever he came back home, he probably would have had every right to give him the biggest tongue lashing that he had ever received. Because that's probably what he deserved, isn't it? You mean you squandered all the wealth that I had? You, you squandered everything that I gave you? Even though you had no respect and no kindness for who I am, I gave it to you anyway. And here it is, you've just wasted it all? He probably would have deserved every bit of that, wouldn't he? That's not what the Father did. It says there in verse 20 that, but while he was still a long way off, his Father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. For someone who had no respect for his Father, his Father only shows compassion and love for His Son. He's thankful that He's come back home. And that gives us such a, an important lesson. That yes, someone who has left the Lord, they need to repent. And we'll talk about that. But we need to just be thankful that they've come back. We need to be glad that they are here. We need to be thankful that they have come back to the Lord. We need to show compassion and grace and love. And then we see the father, he restored his son as a son. He didn't take him up on that deal to make him a servant. He said, you are my son. And he brought out the fattened calf and he killed it and brought about it. A celebration. He gave his son the best robe and put a ring, a signet ring, that he is now the, the eldest son in a sense. That he is the one who has authority in the household. The one that had wasted everything, now he is given charge and responsibility over his father's possessions. His father showed no hesitation here. 
And in fact, whenever the oldest son, that's kind of who I think I might tend to be in this parable. That whenever I would see someone come back and I would be like, hey, hold, let's hold the horses here. Let's talk about this because eh, he's not really responsible. Why are we giving him some authority? Why are we giving him all this celebration? Not that I wouldn't be happy, but I would be, let's just use some good common sense here, Dad, right? His father rebukes that attitude. And that's why this parable stings so much. Because in Luke chapter 15 and in verse 29, as the father is conversing with his oldest son, he said, He answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. The father was driven by grace, compassion, and love. That's what makes him the hero of the story. And that is what our God is like and that is what we should be like too. Because we all know that people can do the right thing, but for the wrong reasons. We've all met someone like that. Kind of like this oldest son. He did all the right things, but perhaps not for the right reasons. And as the people of God, we ought to align the right actions with the right motives. And when someone has left the Lord, we have an obligation to try to restore them. We must do so in the proper way. That's what Paul is describing there in Galatians chapter 6. That we need to go to such a one in a spirit of gentleness. That we need to have the right attitude, the right approach. He continues on in verse 2, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? I would suggest to you that in chapter 5, the Apostle Paul defines for us what the law of Christ is in verse 13. When he says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You see the connection, serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. How are you supposed to do that? Through love with love and compassion and grace. And he goes on in verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We need to restore someone with love, with the right attitude, with the right approach, with love and with kindness. Not judgmentally. Not being harsh and overbearing. We need to actually approach them and say, how can I help you? I want to bear your burden with you. That's what love demands. That's what the Father did in the parable. And a person 
who is involved in bringing someone back to the Lord is blessed. James describes that in James chapter 5. In James, the fifth chapter, at the end of the book of James, James encourages anyone who has strayed from the truth to come back. And he says in James chapter 5 and verse 19, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now we have a responsibility. If we know someone who has left the Lord and has turned away from the truth, we need to urge them and bring them back to Christ. We will be blessed if we do that. And we must be certain that we don't gossip, backbite, and treat them unfairly. We need to treat them with love. That should be our motivation in bringing someone back to Christ. But restoration is not just about what you or I might do. If someone has left the Lord, if someone has left the Lord and we try to urge them and to bring them back, it's not just about something that you or I might say. There's going to be a personal element that the person who has left the Lord, they have to examine themselves. Just as the prodigal in Luke chapter 15, when he said, when it says in verse 17, but when he came to his senses, he had to wake up. He had to come to the full realization of his condition. He had to understand where he was in relationship to his father and to his father's household. He had to relate to understand his relationship with God. He had to come to acknowledge the condition of where he was, that this was hitting rock bottom. He had to come to realize all of that. And then he had to determine to do something about it, didn't he? Because how many people might hit, hit rock bottom, but they just stay there? That's not what this prodigal did. It says in verse 18, he said, I will get up. He didn't say someone's going to have to get me up. He said, I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, you see those action verbs? I will get up, I will go, and I will say. He is determining that I am going to change and I'm going to get things straightened out. And I'm going to tell my Father that I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy of your, to be called your son. So just make me a servant of yours. But even if you just stop reading at verse 19, he's still right there, isn't he? He's still right there in the mud with the pigs. Notice in verse 18 and 19, he's talking in the future tense, isn't he? I will get up. He hasn't gotten up yet. I will go to my father and I will say to him. He's still in the mud though, isn't he? But in verse 20, so he got up. And he goes to his father. And he begins to rehearse the speech to him. I wonder how many times he said that over and over on his way to his father. 
Sometimes we may realize I need to change, but we don't actually get up and change, do we? We don't actually acknowledge that we have done something wrong. We're not willing to go that next step to go back home and to confess our sins. All of this began with a little bit of self-examination and self-determination. And isn't that what Paul is describing there in Galatians chapter 6? In Galatians chapter 6, notice there in verse 4, he says, but each one must examine his own work. And then he will have reason for boasting in regard for himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. I thought he just said that we needed to bear each other's burdens. He did. But there's still a time where even whenever you might tell me and you might show me and point me in what I must do, I have to be the one that determines I'm going to do it. There comes a point where we have to show responsibility for our actions. We have to take the responsibility and we have to be willing to go and make things right. In the example of the prodigal, he goes back to his father, the, the man that he sinned against, and he just slapped him in the face, metaphorically. But he said, I want what belongs to me after you die. He had no acknowledgement for his father while he was living. At that point. He said, I want is going to be mine. And then he, later after wasting it all, he decides, I need to go back to my father because I had it good. And he goes and he actually confesses to his father, doesn't he? The one that he had sinned against. He went and he told him, I've sinned against you. How many times do we do that? When we sin against someone, we may think, as long as I pray to God and ask God to forgive me, maybe I'll even ask the church to forgive me. But if we don't go to the person that we sin against, will that relationship be restored? If we don't apologize for what we have done and the travesty that we have caused and the difficulties that we might have put someone else in, if we don't apologize and confess to them and ask them to forgive us, then our confession and our repentance may be questioned. Examine yourself. Examine your life and your heart. Because we need to be honest about our true spiritual condition. And that's what we all must do. We must all be willing to consider what it is that we have done. We need to be willing to look at our life. And we need to be willing to repent when we have erred. When we sin, we need to be willing to say and own up to it that I have sinned. 
Those might be some of the most difficult words that we could ever say. I have sinned. I was wrong. I am sorry. How many times do we say that to someone? Those are hard words, aren't they? You have to swallow your pride, don't you? But in Acts chapter 8, Peter, as he was speaking with Simon the sorcerer, after he had assumed he could purchase the power of the Holy Spirit with money, Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Therefore repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. We need to be willing to repent. When we are confronted with what we have done that was wrong, we need to be willing to turn our life around. And maybe you see that in Simon. In verse 24, whenever he tells Peter, pray to the Lord for me yourselves so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. He doesn't like the description of his life before God. He wants someone to pray for him. He wants someone who is spiritual to restore him. We need to be willing to confess our sins to one another. In James chapter 5, in James the fifth chapter, and in verse 16, James says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. I think it's a shame that we sometimes treat confession, public confession, confessing to our brothers and sisters in Christ as if it is humiliating. I think it's a real shame that we have attached humiliation with that. With someone, oh, they're going down the aisle, that's real humiliating. I never want to have to do that. If we have that kind of attitude, I think that's what does more harm than good. Because the reason that we should want to confess our faults to one another is so that we can obtain forgiveness, so that we can find grace and mercy, and that we can draw closer to one another in our walk with the Lord, that we can help each other and be a strength and encouragement to one another. We need to go to those who are spiritually strong and mature, and we need to ask our brethren for help. No one is going to make it through this life alone. We need to seek out help from our Christian brothers and sisters. Then we ultimately need to confess our sins before God. In 1 John chapter 1 and in verse 9, the Apostle John says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We sometimes don't hesitate to confess our sins before God because we trust that He is going to be gracious, don't we? He's going to show mercy and kindness to us. That's what it should be like when we confess to one another. That we find mercy and faithfulness and righteousness. So we need to confess our faults before God, 
and before one another. Because when we do that, the prodigal can be restored. Restoration. Coming back to the family of God and being restored as His child. When you come to the family of God, you ought to see grace and kindness and forgiveness shown to you. And you will see those and receive those from God. And you should see that from His children in the church. This morning, we want to encourage you. If you are not a child of God, we want you to come to Christ. Maybe you have treated the grace and the kindness of God with disdain, with hatred and animosity. We want you to come back to the Lord. If you will come and humble yourselves in Christ to be baptized in water to have your sins washed away, God is willing to accept you and receive you as His child, to give you a place of honor within His family. Maybe it is that you have already become His child through baptism, through obedience to the Gospel, but you've gone back into prodigal living. The Gospel is for you as well. God is faithful and merciful to forgive you. And He is calling any and every prodigal to come back, to come home. If we can help you this morning, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?